You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. If I asked you to come up with 100 problem-solving ideas every single day, do you think you could do it? In today's episode, I'm talking with Samuel Sanders. Samuel is the founder of Herd, a software that transforms the way governments and citizens interact. Additionally, he is also the author of the book titled Your Next Big Idea. During our conversation today, Samuel shares an extremely practical approach to problem solving and coming up with creative ideas. I have to say, I learned so much from this book and from this conversation. I'm so excited to share it with you today. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 126. And now get ready to improve your creativity and problem solving abilities. Here is my conversation with my friend, Samuel Sanders. Samuel, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's great to be here. Yeah, I just finished reading your book actually this past weekend. And I want to say what a refreshing, practical read. I had some immediate takeaways and implementations. Uh, I really pulled a lot from this book. I really don't think I'll ever walk into a conversation the same way. I'm going to be listening for for different things thanks to this book. So <laughs> I really appreciate you putting this together. Oh, yeah. No, that's great to hear. That's that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, I try and really like uh, hone it down so that like you can really take things away from it. Sometimes those like reads like you're just a person talking about their life and I really that really never jives with me. So it really is all about the reader. Love it. I think you did a great job. Again, practical application is like my love language. I say that a lot in this podcast and same with the <laughs> listeners. I believe that's what we're here for. We're here for something that we can actually do. So I appreciate you doing that. I'm really looking forward to passing that off to the listeners as well today. So First off, I'd like to know what made you decide to write this book. Yeah. So um, uh, let me jump into my background a little bit because that'll make sense for the uh, reason I decided to write the book. So throughout my career, I've worked in a couple of different areas. I've been a founder myself, so I've started companies in the past. Uh, One of my companies, Wondershirt, we were like an athletic training uh, company. So we sold clothing to Olympic athletes back in the 2016 Olympics. Um, and then I've also started a company that I work on now, Heard. So I've been in the entrepreneur space. I've looked at like coming up with ideas. I've worked with other entrepreneurs. And so I've seen that like entrepreneurial part of a, um, of that world. Then uh, I've worked for an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. And I worked in the R&D sector there. So there I saw like how a small fast co- uh, growing company is looking at innovation, looking how to like find those big ideas. Lastly, I worked for one of the big guys, worked at Fortune 500, uh, like Fortune Future 50, worked in business development. I saw how big companies are looking at like growing business, how they're looking at coming up with ideas. And they all like look at ideas like slightly differently. And so I kind of wanted to just like break it down and put it together into like this all in one book. I'm like, oh, this is how people like come up with like big, big ideas, your next big idea. Um, And it really came together when I was doing uh, like a guest talk at, at my old university and I was just explaining it and like this, the students um, were just like, kind of like, oh, why didn't I ever get this? And it's almost like a prereq to like being an entrepreneur itself is like, oh, you have to like find the idea to do it. So um, it's, it's sometimes we skip over that part and it can be, it can be frustrating because then it leaves people being like, oh, I'm just not creative or I just can't think of ideas. And that's, that's just not the case. They were just never really explained how to go about that process. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to go back to university and obviously get the inspiration to write this book. I think that's really cool that it was just you there like talking about it. And you're like, oh, there's probably something here because people aren't realizing <laughs> it. They're just not putting it together, yeah. uh, which leads me. Let's, let's jump straight into one of the points from the book, just going into chapter one here, which is identifying problems. I think the best place to start would just be like, how do you define a problem? What does that look like to you? Yeah, so uh, a problem is is basically like anything that is kind of like stopping you from getting to like where you want to be basically so it can look, come in all different types of forms and we often just like throw problems aside because it's not comfortable to think about things that like we don't like or <laughs> things that are bothering us right and so we'll just like not think about it or we'll just you know like uh toss it uh, yeah like i said toss it aside but really like we need to focus on those problems because each problem that you can solve is a potential like opportunity for like an entrepreneurial venture so what i tell people is like look out for like keywords when somebody says like oh i really hate something or like i can't do something or won't do something those are trigger words to like a problem so it's like oh i really hate like how long this line is like all of a sudden you can start looking and thinking like okay wait there's a problem here. This person really hates like waiting in this type of line. Like, can I solve that? Can I look at that? I hate, you know, the way that this technology works or it's really hard to understand or I can't seem to do this. Like those are the trigger words that give you the, uh, can give you those problems. It's that, it's that difference from like where that person wants to be or where you want to be and, um, where you're starting. And so that's, that's like problem by definition and they're everywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll get to this in a second, but you have like a, a, a kind of a, format for doing this just in every conversation you're in. We'll get that in a second. But first, I also want to mention, we just talked about identifying problems, but you go straight into chapter two, where you talk about identifying needs and wants as well, which you would just define this simply as something that makes someone feel that they, they don't have what they want, right? Or they don't have what they need to, to succeed. But how do you really identify these? Is it the same kind of keywords? Is there different trigger words to identify a want and a need? Yeah, so problems, needs, and wants like are the foundation of business ideas they're uh, like connected, but they're not necessarily always exactly the same. For example, like if I really want to go to a, a concert, like that's something that could be if, uh, you know, obviously make money if they're a big music artist, stuff like that. But that's not really, uh, it can be solving a problem, but it's not necessarily as uh, problem triggered as it is more like want triggered. Like it's like, I want or desire this. Um, and when we're looking for wants, you hear things like, oh, I wish I could do this or like, I really, you know, sometimes you literally the word want, like I want to be able to do this, but there's something that's stopping that person or stopping yourself from uh, accomplishing those wants. And so um, wants are like another uh, kind of, you know, uh, I guess trigger, trigger word and trigger kind of uh, base level for a, a problem that you can potentially solve with a business idea. Needs are a little different. Needs are when someone needs something, it's like more attached to them. Um, and I talk about needs and I talk about like functional needs, which is like what people think about like normally it's like, oh, I need air and water. And, you know, like, yeah, you do need those things. But there are also like these needs where it's just like so ingrained in the person's lifestyle that they like feel like they need it. And like a good example I give is like some people, they need to have a glass of water like next to the bedside before they sleep. Like they will not be able to sleep if they do not have that <laughs> glass of water That's next me. to their bedside. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then like that becomes like a need. And so if that need is like not being fulfilled or you can fulfill that need in a better way, then that's another really good stepping point for, um, a business, like a, a business to solve those, uh, needs. So again, going into these, these three things, you've got the problems, you've got the needs and the wants. 
Now, something that you put in the book that I thought was really cool was just you just told a story. Uh, I don't know if it was a fictitious story or not, but you just told the story of somebody. And then you went back through the story and pulled out all the problems, needs and wants that they referenced throughout it. And I thought it was a really cool thing. Can you talk a little bit about how we can start doing this in our own conversations without being weird, like just holding like a piece of paper and checking every time we hear them say something, right? Like, how have you trained yourself to really identify this in conversations? I know this is personal and like while you're at your job like while you're in business this works anywhere that you really are right yeah and i i do that because like it's just there's a i wanted to show like how applicable it actually is like how you can like sort those triggers like the stories i one of the things that i talk about in the book is like if you read a fiction book um you can like take a character follow them along and almost like trigger their prop like they're gonna have problems they're gonna have needs they're gonna have wants you know because otherwise the book would be very boring yes so <laughs> right you know you, you can like see those and write those down and so when you're in every conversation it's I'm like not not uh pointing it out but when somebody's talking about a frustration like note that in your head and then maybe ask like a follow-up question be like oh you know like can you expand further on that like you want that but like you can't have it like why can't you have it and then like they'll give you a little bit more information or they're saying like oh they have a problem like tell me a little bit more about that and Typically, like people like to um, like explain and talk about like what's going on. So it's not it's not going to feel like weird. It's, you know, they'll they'll explain to you the problem. And then when when I'm done, like I, you know, it's really easy on your phone, just like in your notes or if you have a notebook, you know, just like write down those problems. And then like you can come back to those later as like you're trying to uh, ideate and come up with those business ideas. And it's really it's really uh, interesting, you know, like even in the beginning of uh, like us with this podcast is like talking about, oh, like, is the microphone working well enough? Is everything like going smoothly? Like we're looking and checking those problems and it's just us like setting up for the show. So I think uh, it's it's definitely, you know, like something that it's almost in every single conversation. You just got to kind of look for it. Yeah. And you, you kind of hinted at something here where you're talking about asking questions, which is another chapter you have in the book. And you talk about asking what, who, when, where, how, and why. And you really dive deep into the why, especially it has its own multiple chapters around yeah. that. Can you talk a little bit more about the asking question part of this? Because again, if you're listening to the conversation, actually asking questions about people's pain points makes for a better conversation. Now, whether you have an agenda in that or not, you're still making for a better conversation. Because if you just skip right over when someone's like, oh, I wish that this, or I hate that, and you just skip over it, you're not having a very deep conversation. But if you go back and ask a little bit more about that, one, you're showing that person you care, but also it might benefit you to be able to create some sort of solution at a later time. But anyway, I'm ranting here a little bit, but I'd love to hear a little bit more on no. this idea of asking questions. Yeah, and I think like we somehow like almost like stop asking questions as a form of embarrassment, like almost like, oh, we should know that. But I, I really think that's the wrong way to look at asking questions. Like asking questions is a way of understanding, even if it's something that like maybe everybody else like feels like you should know. Like so it's important to ask those questions because then that person is going to be like, Oh, maybe that is not, you know, necessarily common knowledge. Maybe you can learn more about this specific idea. Uh, So I talk about like the different types of questions and like each question is going to give you slightly different information. Like who's going to tell you like what kind of people are involved in the problem. And that's really going to trigger type of things like target market and really like that kind of aspect of it. What is like really what is happening when is like, and when and where are both like timing aspects. So it's like, you're really uh, honing in on, you know, how does this situation come to be? I talk about why extensively, because it's just like such a powerful question. When we ask why, sometimes we get like, uh, like a really deep answer. You're really going to get a person to dive in. 
or sometimes they just don't know, which is another like uh, uh, thing that comes up, you know, like we're so used to doing like everyday things over and over again. It's just like, oh, that's just like the way I've been doing it. Like, I'm not sure why I do it that way. And the other thing is if you're really hitting a pain point, sometimes you'll get like a false why where it's like somebody has a reason, but it's not necessarily like a a real like why reason like they'll say like oh this is just like the best way or this 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 but it really like doesn't make sense but they're just trying to justify it because that's how they're like dealing with the problem so really asking why is important i talk about um the like why 3x rule so the example i give in the book is a, a spice shop and so like this spice shop loses their top employee and like some sales of certain spices go down so they're like oh maybe we need to market more or maybe we need to you know like do different kind of promotion. But what happens when you ask why is like you learn that this is like a very customer friendly store, like the employees like work with customers, talk about their meals and stuff like that. And that employee was leading people to certain spices because, you know, that's like what he or she liked. And that's why the sales went down that person left. And so they didn't have like the knowledge on the base ground. So I need to hire someone new is a very different solution than I need to market more or market more effectively and so really tr uh, asking why and like being consistent with your why can give you a lot of information about the problem you're facing. That's great. You know, as a kid, I was a Y 3X type of kid. Uh, I don't know if you were the same way, but uh, my, my poor mother, uh, she, she was <laughs> so gracious, but I would ask why on everything. So um, I think I've just kind of naturally carried this with me, but it, it, like, I love the application of it now that I'm, I'm an adult and like starting businesses and things like that. I think this is really great. And again, what we've talked about so far, I really just love how natural this can be in a conversation. Again, whether it's a professional conversation or personal, like this can just kind of flow. You don't need like meetings for this stuff. This can just be part of your day-to-day -day life. And we just have to learn to retrain our mind to be looking for these triggers, these keys for ourselves to do something with, and then just write it down on a phone. I think it's, I think it's great what you're sharing so far, Samuel. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. I want to talk about stigmas. And you have an entire section on this. I'm really glad you did, because so many of us, we hear people in conversations being like, oh, I hate this. And we're just like, yep, I know that's just how <laughs> things are, right? But like, we, we really believe that. It's like, we don't think that anyone can do something about it. So I'd love for you to first off define what a stigma is. Let's go ahead and talk about that for a moment, because I think it'll really help the listeners be able to, to take what we're talking about here to the next level. Yeah. So what I always thought, like, and the way I structure it in the book is like, first, you're going through these problems, these needs, these wants, and you're finding them. And then before you're going like, oh, I have this solution, it's important to talk about stigmas. And so stigmas are like rules or guidelines you think you need to follow, even though you don't necessarily have to follow. So one of the things I talk about is like, obviously there are laws and we don't break laws, but we kind of follow these like kind of unwritten rules, like, oh, don't talk about like religion or politics at the table. Or like, um, you know, if you're following, you know, the same kind of habits, you can get stuck in things and think that's just the way it could be. Like just a couple of examples, like, the politics at the table is kind of like a societal standard. And there are a couple of different societal standards that are different for each industry or like, you know, uh, space you're in. 
Um, and then on top of that, I talked about like habits. Those can be really dangerous. If you're, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over again, you're going to forget that there are other options and like something even simple. Like if you walk to work, you're going to end up taking the same path pretty much every day. A new street could open that can make your path faster, but you wouldn't even know because it's just like you're going through the same habits over and over. And like I said, those happen in industry, like in a business sense, but also like personally as well. Um, and then there are other things that can trigger uh, these type of stigmas. There's social influence. So a good example I give is like somebody's coming to me and they say, let's say like a logistics platform. And they're like, oh, we're used by UPS and Amazon. And that's great. But um, and Amazon and UPS have that kind of like social influence. But that might not necessarily be the best for your small company if you're, you know, not the Amazon UPS size. So, you know, we have those kind of social influence. It happens with influencers as well, where like big time names can, you know, promote different things and or diets and you feel like you need to follow it. Um, and then the last one, like another one that I talk about is uh, like how a set of information is phrased can really tr almost trigger an answer. And that's something you should be careful about, uh, about when anytime you see like data, like the way you arrange a graph can lead to certain conclusions or even just like everyday space, the way you ask questions can trigger certain type of answers. And that's a thing that you should be mindful of. Those are other stigmas. And those are like, before even jumping to a solution, it's important to look at your problem and be like, okay, what stigmas are around this type of problem? What yeah. is happening? And get those written out um, because that's going to help your solution, you know, move from like, oh, like I have a, a, a good solution to something that maybe is really groundbreaking, especially if you can push those stigmas um, in a way that's positive, you know, you know, providing more benefit or more efficiency uh, that, that really can help take your idea to the next level. In your book, you have a lot of really fun and creative ways to practice erasing stigmas. We're not going to be able to get into any of those today, but I do encourage listeners that if this is something you're saying I, I might struggle with, like you're listening, like, okay, this sounds like something that I would really struggle with. Grab a copy of this book because I actually believe that these, again, they're, they're fun and creative ways to really begin practicing erasing stigmas, but I believe that they actually really help. I found them helpful even while I was going through the book myself. So again, same, a great job on this. Like, uh, I, I set it up offline, but I, I could not believe that you weren't someone who's been in the business world for like 40 or 50 years. <laughs> but, uh, just because of the things you put in here, I'm like, wow, this is super insightful. But anyway, we're not gonna have time to get into all that today. But I do want to talk about one more thing on this whole idea of erasing and defining stigmas, which is challenging the status quo. Mm -hmm. Because that's something that I've just always believed as entrepreneurs, we have to get comfortable doing. So can you talk about why challenging the status quo matters and how we can start doing that? Yeah, so if you're really going to like push the boundaries, it, it, it is important to take that uh, status quo and, and, and challenge it. It's, um, you know, it's kind of hard because it adds additional risk when you're pushing against something that is so heavy, um, like the status quo. But what ends up happening is when you challenge a status quo, you can almost like break, break something new. So let me give you an example. Like when you look and think about uber like the taxi industry before that like imagining that people unlicensed like you know because taxi drivers needed certain licenses and stuff like that like was the only way to go about it you know we have this status quo around the taxi industry and uber came in and was like oh okay what if we shift it um you know so that it's 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 everyday people that are driving people around and airbnb followed a similar concept you know we have hotels that are these big places but what if everyday people were your hotel owners and so there's this status quo, and each industry has their own status quo. Each problems have their own status quo associated with them. So what I tell people is look at those stigmas, because those stigmas will start to give, like, build the status quo. Like, as you identify different stigmas, you can kind of put them together and be like, oh, this is the status quo of, like, what the industry is like. 
And then like, as you're looking to solve this problem, you're, you look at the status quo as a whole, like through all the stigmas. And then you like go and see like, okay, can I challenge this? Would that lead to more positivity? Would I challenge this? Would that lead to, you know, something that's more efficient? So the status quo is kind of this like combined thing. And if you don't push it, then what's going to happen is you're going to come up with a solution that's probably very similar to a lot of other solutions. Um, and as a, as an entrepreneur, it's going to be really hard, especially if you're starting by yourself or even starting in a small team to compete with like a large company that has like the resources. If your solution is not really pushing those kind of boundaries, um, it's not impossible, but it's, it's, if you can really successfully push the status quo, then you're, you're probably really onto something. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, what we've talked about so far has been already so helpful. We talked about identifying problems, wants, and needs, asking questions along the way, defining stigmas, understanding how to overcome them, challenging that status quo. And now let's say we, we found something and we, we, we want to create a solution. First off, you talk about how there's no such thing as a crazy idea. Like just explore whatever it is that you're like wanting to explore, whether you do something with it or not. But you talk about brainstorming and mind mapping. Can you talk about this side of things as we're kind of coming to the idea of, okay, let's create a solution on what we're hearing people say? Yeah. So with brainstorming, uh, there's, you know, with brainstorming, there's almost two aspects to it. There's like team brainstorming and there's solo brainstorming. Um, and they kind of work very differently because once you start bringing other people into it, there are different kind of, you know, like, uh, I don't want to say like rules, but they're different, uh, like kind of like oh, yeah. etiquette that helps push the brainstorming on the best way. So like from, so let's just, uh, say like solo brainstorming and mind mapping, the first like step is just like getting things down on paper or wherever you take notes, your computer or whatever. And mind mapping is a way that I think is really effective to brainstorm about an idea. So how it works is you start with a central idea um, in the center. Maybe that's your problem or, you know, like the stigma that you're trying to work on solving. And then you're going to go and just branch off as like with, and create like bubbles around it and then keep, you know, following your train of thought. You know, like we so heavily like focus on organization as like a society. And sometimes like, that's just not how your brain is going to work. You're going to have some ideas. They're going to come this way, this way, this way. Then you're going to think about it a little more. And you're like, Oh wait, I need to start back from the beginning. Let me just redirect like my train of thought this way. What's going to happen is you're going to have this map that comes up with like your central idea. And then you'll have ideas branching off of it. And those ideas have ideas branching off of it. What's great about mind maps is you can, you know, you can color them as you need, you can draw them as you need. Like it's a very creative tool that's going to really help bring out your thoughts. And once you start, and you can do that with teams as well. But once you start bringing in other people, there are a lot of like etiquette things you need to think. Like we don't shut, we don't shut down ideas during brainstorming. We're really trying to get everybody involved. Like oftentimes you can get group think. So you got to try and avoid group think. You got to make sure everybody is like playing into ideas, building off and like you're catching everybody's ideas. Um, and yeah, and that can like, you know, when we, once you have all of those ideas out there, then you can really get to the creative solutions, uh, creating solutions, like step of solving these problems. So Samuel, I got to ask, because there's so many solutions out there for mind mapping and brainstorming, like there's softwares, there's apps, there's old school notepad. Yeah. I personally like to use whiteboards and yes. I, I have like behind me right now, there's three whiteboards and I've got, I think I have nine different colors that I write in. So I always make <laughs> it really colorful, but it, to me, it's really a fast way to like erase a line that I made or move something really fast. But what do you use? Is there something that you recommend to people? Yeah. So, uh, when I'm solo, uh, like brainstorming, honestly, I have like a notebook I do it in. I just feel like for me, it, um, provides like the, the space to go. And sometimes if I, if it's really getting to like something where I'm like, Oh, this is, this is big. Then like, I'll grab a poster board or a bigger sheet of paper just to like expand, you know, the uh, thoughts out. So I'm kind of like old school in that sense. Um, part of the reason that is, is because like, 
if um if i'm trying to work quickly like my brain is constantly moving to new thought like oh okay what about this and this and this then like it's hard on a computer software to keep up with that but as you're writing like you're still able to to keep up and for groups i do like um like whiteboards as well like i think that works really well everyone can see it if everyone's in the same room but if you're not in the same room like even like the draw tools like if you get everybody on the sharing screen and just using the draw tools and like having fun like i think that's just a really effective way Honestly, it gets to like laughter and good moods because, you know, keeping everything together, it's not going to be right. perfect. Yeah. But that's like part of the fun of brainstorming. Like it's not meant to be perfect. It's like just get everything out there so that like we can take a look at the whole scope, challenge those uh, stigmas and like look at this problem in every way we can to try and solve it. I like that you said that. The idea is, is, is it can be fun. It's a it's a great part of this process. This whole thing doesn't have to be like super tense, super hardcore. And also, we, we just share two different things. You use a notebook. I use whiteboards when I'm doing solo brain brainstorming. There's no right or wrong answer. Really, it's whatever yeah. someone's most comfortable with. So I'm glad that you shared that. So now let's imagine that we've actually selected a solution, something that we're saying, okay, this is what we want to do. We've come to that conclusion. The next thing you talk about is this feasibility check. You talk about a, a feasibility check with your business ideas. Can you talk about the questions we should be asking ourselves when we're doing this? Yeah. So when we're looking at a feasibility check there, are, and I split this into three, uh, three chapters. So the, the first, the first part is, is there a market for an idea uh, for your idea? Um, and you know, that's like the fundamental question when you're starting a business, like you could have a right. really great idea, but if there's nobody that wants that idea, then like, it's not going to be a successful business. You need to have a market there. And so that really talks about like, identifying your market, you know, going to do market research, making sure there are people out there that want the idea. I think I, I gave an example uh, once. There's like, if you make a t-shirt about like a small town and there's only 46 people that live in that town, you know, your target market is not going to be that big because it's just like, there, you know, there's only so many people that have visited or want to go to that town. So it's really just making sure that there's a market there for the idea. The second step uh, question, which I think a lot of people forget to ask is, does the market want it now? And so uh, Bill Gross, uh, he has a TED Talk where he talks about market timing. And so, uh, and he he works at Idea Lab, which is like kind of funds a bunch of different incubators. Um, I'm sorry, uh, companies and incubators as well. So he uh, says that timing is 42% of success um, along with team and market research and all of that stuff. And so the reason I talk about this is a lot of times like entrepreneurs will have this really crazy idea or they, uh, you know, that might be really good, but it might be like too far in the future uh, to like really, you know, you know, act on it. Um, and some things I talk about, like this happens in the medical community, because like when you come up with new uh, like science based stuff, it's there's like the adoption period and people may not just be ready for it, even if the technology is there. But it also can happen the reverse end. Like if I started a typewriter business, like that probably wouldn't do that well. You know, people don't really use typewriters. Maybe right. if it was like collectibles or something like that, but it's, you really have to make sure that people are ready for this idea uh, now. Um, and then the last thing is, do you have the resources to do it? So the resources are everything from money, team, expertise. And so you have to ask yourself, like, do I have the resources on my own? Like, how much can I do? Can I learn those resources? Can I get them if you're, you know, already have a business? Is there someone on my team in house that I just don't know, but does have these resources? Can I get a partner or like an external company to help me out? So you really need to be able to take your company, break it down and be like, okay, what do I need to get to like this next step? You can, uh, and I say like create a resource chart. You're like, I need X, Y, Z. And then you're like, okay, what are my options for that? If I did it in house, what would that look like? If I did it externally, what would that look like? If I did it 
um, finding a partner, bringing on a new team member, what would that look like? So really breaking down and understand what you physically need to get there. Because, you know, if I wanted to start a rocket ship company, you know, there's a lot of things that I would need that probably, you know, like I would realize I don't have the resources for like tons of money. You need the rights from all NASA and everyone. So it's just uh, you really need to break down your resources for an idea to see what that looks like. I love these three points you just talked about here, which is, is there a market for the idea? Does the market want it now? And do you have the resources available for it? And to touch base on one of them, you, you referenced uh, Bill Gross, who is just a machine. He's actually considered the entrepreneur unicorn because I believe he's on his seventh billion dollar company that's IPO'd or, or some, yeah, something like that. Like crazy. <laughs> so clearly, clearly the guy knows, like when he says that 42% of, of a business is the timing, like the timing really, that's really important. If someone's built seven billion dollar companies billion plus dollar companies i'd like to think that they know what they're talking about so i'm glad that you referenced that and i kind of want to land here in section five where you're talking about sharing uh, the benefits of sharing and that it's okay to share because i think that many of us when we feel like okay i've identified this problem i've got this idea i've checked the market everyone wants it the timing is right i've got the resources they play really close to the chest like they don't want to tell anybody about it can you talk about this idea of sharing yeah. So what like sharing is just so fundamentally important to building a business idea. And uh, a lot of new entrepreneurs, like they're worried people will steal their ideas. And like, it's, it's possible, like, it's not something that's totally impossible. Real, realistically, it's just so unlikely, like you would need a person that also wants to start a company that has the same interests that has like the same skill sets. And then even on top of that, like, they would need to like, you know, match like and have more resources it's just so many things and it just in reality the feedback you get is most important and you're like the you know the idea creator so ideas aren't just like one and done like you're constantly manipulating these like business ideas to adjust and you know make it work and so like even if somebody were to take an idea it's just like well you're the you know you're the creator you know what's best you've done the market research so it, sharing is just so critically important. And I talk about sharing uh, for a couple of reasons. One, sometimes it'll it'll help you um, find like other people that are interested in your work, mentors or people that want to join join the company. But also it can give you like a ton of feedback. And it's an important part of the market research process to share your ideas, because then if you're always like a little too close to the chest, you're never going to get that real feedback that's going to tell you whether this idea is something that uh, could get out there. So, I, I, you know, I'm really, it's really critical to share uh, what goes out there because that's what builds the idea. And then it can even take you back steps like, oh, maybe I need to go back to the drawing board on this part and really help you develop an idea. And without that sharing process, it's just a large time and potentially even financial commitment on something that you're not really sure like people are going to like. So it's, it's really critical to share. I always tell people that when they're feeling like, oh, I can't tell anybody about this. I can't share. I always say, you've seen too many movies because that's usually <laughs> just movie stuff where people are like stealing ideas and stuff. That's not real life. And I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen, but it is so rare, so far in between. And honestly, if someone takes your idea, you probably have another one that's just as good anyway. So just go yeah. with the next one. So anyway, I'm glad we kind of covered that. Sam, well, this has been a super fun conversation. Thank you so much for your time today and being a guest. I really appreciate it. Oh, uh, yeah, it was great being on here. Thanks so much. Samuel was a lot of fun to talk to, and seriously, what a brilliant guy. Because of his book and this conversation today, I'll probably never engage in conversation the same way. I'll always be looking out for those trigger words. Now, although that might not always be helpful, for the most part, it'll actually really help with the people I care most about and the tribe that I support in the business world, so podcasters. And I say that because when you're listening for those trigger words, it actually shows that you care about what problems other people have and 
of course, you can create a solution creatively off of what it is that they're sharing. So I encourage you to really let this idea sink in and apply it to your life as well. Samuel, thank you again for being a guest and helping us all expand our creativity and problem-solving abilities. For a link to Samuel Sanders' book, Your Next Big Idea, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 126. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.